Good morning and welcome to another episode of Stoke Leader. I have the privilege of speaking with Norman Brown today. Now, normally we would have uh, a Karch on the phone, but he got called in some kind of crazy meeting. But uh, that means I get to speak with Norman all by myself and this is going to be fun. So, <laughs> Norman, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Maurice. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, man. I, you know, I am... I'm giddy. I told you I felt giddy about this because uh, I was introduced uh, to Norman by one of our prior guests, Bernard Tony Jr. And he was adamant that we need to talk about Norman. Now, after reading about you, Norman, I can see why. And I'm, I'm going to read this directly from uh, uh, from one of the news articles that I pulled up here. And give the audience a little bit about a background on Norman. And that is, in the early 1990s, Norman was tried and convicted of possession and distribution of crack cocaine and given a mandatory life sentence. He was 22 years old. Man, 22 years old. That's, that's crazy. Anyway, I'll get back to this. Norman's sentencing judge lamented that the sentence he was obligated to impose was strikingly out of proportion to his nonviolent drug offenses. Norman served his sentence in the Federal Correctional Institute uh, in Petersburg and Hopewell, Virginia, where he focused on mentoring other inmates. He did not have a single disciplinary violation during the 20 years he served. He filed for petition for commutation in 2010 and was granted on November, which was granted on November 10th, 2015. And that clemency was granted by President Barack Obama. Okay, so... Holy moly. I, I get all warm and fuzzy just reading about this. Um, it's despite all the crazy political stuff that's going on right now, just looking at what you've been able to do, not only in prison, but also what you're doing now, it just blows my mind. So, man, Norman, you got to tell us about yourself. I, I mean, you talk wherever you want to talk. Give us the story, man, and then we'll we'll go from there. How about that? That sounds great, Maurice. Uh, thank, thank you for for the nice and warm introduction. It's it's been a it's been a um uh, I've currently been home now while well, going on, I think, eight years. And uh it's been uh a very uh beautiful eight years. Um it's been a fast eight years. Yeah. Uh and, and I can tell you this. Um, it was many years that I sat uh, that I sat in prison, and you could see the time clicking, just like you know. You can see yourself growing older while you were in there, and time moves pretty quick when you are incarcerated and you're doing the things that you should be doing, and you're not allowing time to do you. You are doing the time. So, been out here, been uh, been pretty fun and been very exciting. I met some wonderful people like Dr. Tony and uh and, and now I'm getting a chance to meet you because I follow you on LinkedIn and I see all the wonderful energy that that you put out and all the wonderful people that you met uh throughout your tenor of doing this. So man, thank you for having me and it's been a joy. Oh man. I, trust me, this is this is one of the coolest things that we I, I always say that I guess and I, I sincerely mean it. Uh, because your story is, man, 22 years old. I remember I was 22 years old, right? <laughs> it's, 
it seems like yesterday, but it was years ago. And I remember I didn't know squat when I was 22. I thought I knew everything, but I didn't know squat. Right? And right. looking at that, that age and then, then just getting that heavy, heavy sentence, just, I just want to understand what what was going on again 22 years old that was that was heavy man and just wow what was going on I mean again this the articles I know don't do it justice but I just wonder what was going on just prior to that but then what what went on after that sentence happened and and then what how you process that that's probably the dumbest question I could ever ask, but that's just what's going through the mind right now. <laughs> well, I think that's an excellent question, um, Maurice, because what happens is that um, someone would have to ask that question. How do you, at a, such a young age, uh, in, in your youth and in your prime, um, really, Maurice, I couldn't, when you first receive a sentence like that, Number one, you can't process it because to say that you have life without parole mm -hmm. and, and, and really not understanding the law of what that actually means, because you would think at some point in time as a 22 year old young man that the crimes that were committed, they were bad. But to do the crimes really mean that you have, are really never going to go home again. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as I got older, when I first got the sentence, and really, in all actuality, I had three life sentences, oh, but wow. they were ran concurrent. Wow. And by them being ran concurrent, that means that uh, if you stack them on top of each other, the one life would be just as equal as the three life sentences. Wow. But if I had one of them overturned, then uh, I would have to sit and deal with the other one. So wow. it's like a stacked on type of uh, statutory sentence, but I don't want to confuse the listeners, but really what it does is you can't comprehend it. And I didn't comprehend it, Maurice, to be honest with you, until maybe like 10 years into my sentence, after uh, I had slowed down and trying to figure out what route I was going to take while being incarcerated, um, you know, going into a United States penitentiary, uh, seeing all of the the, uh, the the horrific things that take place in facilities like this and me being young and having to decide, man, what are you going to do? Are you going to do time or are you going to allow time to do you? And I had to learn what that meant. Whoa. Okay, that's heavy, man. I allow time to do do you. Man, because I, I know what I would have probably done. I would have probably gone into a deep funk. No doubt about it. And and I can, matter of fact, I remember visiting um, a friend's father in Folsom. And and that was over in California. There was there's some things that he got mixed up in. And I remember walking into that, in that facility. And it was, there were two sides. It was interesting. I, I, this, is, this is what I experienced. The one thing was pure, it was just an energy suck, right? It just there was an energy suck when you went in there, but then I noticed that there were in my inmates in there that you could tell it was they were visibly shaken. You know what? What am I doing here? This is a or there was there's some bitterness and such. 
or or just pure I've given up kind of hope. But then you'd find some of those those folks that yeah, they know that they were there for a reason, but they didn't let them get that get them down. Does that make any sense at all? It, yes, you it, just described both ways. Yeah, yeah. And unless I had seen that, I would never have truly understood that both of those things exist in that same facility that, I mean, it is, it, it was a heavy thing to be there. But to see that, that glimmer of, of, of uh, lack of a better word, light was pretty cool. Uh, and it impacted me because you you see that that matter of fact my my friend's father how he was mentoring other people inside the prison he was an older gentleman uh, at the time uh, but again when I when I was uh, studying up for this interview it, it's obvious that you had to make that choice too right do I embrace the 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 the, the let it let it impact me or do I do something about it. And just wanted to know a little bit more of when that decision came that you're going to make something of it rather than let, let it get you down. And what was the result? What were some of the things that happened uh, based on that decision to choose that you're going to go awesomeness instead? So, again, geeky, but had to say it. <laughs> but, that's, but that's good, though, Maurice, because you laid it out perfectly because to go in at 22, and to still be young and trying to figure out, okay, I go in here in this hostile environment. Um, now, what am I do? Am I going to be prey uh, for someone to uh, maybe vanish take me? Mm -hmm. Or am I going, what are skills that I bring to the table that would allow me enough time to learn the environment? And what my skill set was, was I was an athlete. Mm. And when I went in, you know, I, I got involved in a lot of sports. And, you know, that's really big when you're incarcerated because of the level of entertainment, yeah. the level of things, uh, you know, you stay fit and you can get and people take a liking to you when you are able to uh, to perform well in, mm -hmm. in your athletic ability. So it took me about maybe about a really a good 10 years because I was young yeah. and I had that kind of energy, Maurice, to <laughs> go out and play baseball and football. And, and I was a coach when I was on the street. Uh, mm -hmm. So when I went in, I coached and I played and, I, and those things, by the time I got 30, maybe about a good seven to eight years in, yeah. that's when I started seeing like, my mom and my dad coming to visit me and be mindful. I had uh, the mother of my child was was pregnant when I when I got arrested. Oh man! Okay, wow. So she my my daughter wasn't born at that time. So when uh, maybe like eight or nine months after I came in, my daughter was born. So to see my daughter coming through my mom and through her mother at that time yeah. to visit me. And I started seeing people getting older and older and mm -hmm. older. I said, ah, this is serious. Yeah. And I met older guys that was in prison for a long time. And they were saying, man, uh, what kind of time you got? And I told them, they was like, hold up. I understand you want to play sports, 
but it's time for us to learn how can you get back in court. Wow. Wow. So they were acting as your mentors, man. And they were going, yes. Let's look at the stuff that's going instead of the, well, it, it, again, going back to your youth, it's easy to think, I'm going to be healthy for a daggum long time here, man. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> and what you just said resonated because I got a, a bone on bone knee, knee um, evaluation last week. <laughs> like, ah, I got one too, Maurice. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Man. And so just to have those gentlemen come in and say, let's prep, let's prepare you for other than just that, that the athletic stuff, what 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 kind of switch went on after you had those discussions? What were some of the things that you started to uh, um, put into place? Well, after that, after that switch came on, uh, I started and and I and I saw my daughter getting older. I saw my mother getting older, and my dad, and I started saying. Okay, and some of the older gentlemen were saying, listen, you're not going to stay young forever. Mm -hmm. You're getting older. I'm hitting 30. And I'm starting to say, and I'm starting to feel like, ah, the reality of me now going through my legal work and really starting to process the fact that, hey, uh, hey, Norman, you know you don't have a date to go home. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. that you, they know that this says that and when I would go to what they call a unit team, where you go in and get evaluated to maybe go to a lesser security facility, mm -hmm. they were keeping me at high level facilities because of the life sentences that I had. Oh, interesting. So one, one day, Maurice, I was going to my unit team and my unit manager said, well, you know, your release date says deceased. Oh, oh man. <laughs> that would have been wow. I've never heard that part. You hear life, but deceased. That's wow. I mean, I'm looking at it on your face too. That hit you about the same way it just hit me. <laughs> yes. I'm looking at your face, and I'm now a chill just went through my body because yeah. it was almost vicarious trauma because I relived it when I said it, and that's when the light bulb went off. Yeah. Yeah. I said, Well, what do you mean? What do you mean by, by that? Well, Mr. Brown, you do know that you do have life without parole. And in the federal United States uh, uh, government, you don't have parole like a state prisoner will have. Mm -hmm. So now it started, it started resonating. Yeah. And now I started utilizing sport as, an, as, a, as a, um, a chance to really not look at the reality that was that I was in. Mm, man. All right. Again, this is, I have no other words except that's heavy. <laughs> that is heavy. And that, uh, okay. I'm, 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 I'm assuming you and I are about the same age. And so if I was going to go back in that time, just, whoa, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> so once that, that sunk in, what did you do? <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> well, I started I started trying to learn the law. Mm -hmm. um, I started trying to look back over 
the volumes of uh of transcripts that I had um and I tried to figure out uh with what they call jailhouse lawyers which were very 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 good mm-hmm. at uh at their craft because to be incarcerated all you really have time to do is be into whatever craft that you're into and they were beginning to show me how to use the legal books and what this meant and started asking me questions and working with me and really uh, informing me on what my next steps would be that had something to do with uh, regaining my freedom. Wow. So mm-hmm. I started studying law a lot more. I started uh, utilizing my time a lot more. And that's when I started transitioning a little more from playing sports to maybe coaching a little more, uh, uh, taking classes now to enhance my education so that I can just become overall just a better person. So if and when a break ever came for me, then I would have utilized prison as a university. You know, what's so cool about that whole thing is that you started with you first, right? It, you 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 took those, by this time you're in prison almost a decade, and then it was just, I got to work on myself, man. That's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, just that realization. And as you started to develop yourself, as you started, I mean, looking at law, law is not an easy thing to study, right? But yeah. all those th- all those things as you're developing yourself, not only made you, uh, uh, it's obvious it made you incredibly intellectual, the intellectual prowess, st- intellectual, where did I even come up with that word, right? It, it, it is, you became very intellectually savvy about what law is all about. I can only imagine the kind of people you were able to help as you were learning these things. I mean, was, did you... Pass that knowledge on too, as uh, as uh, other inmates were the, the inmates you were there with. Did you share everything that you were learning there and 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 helping them out too? Yes, uh, because what I did was I started seeing how young uh, other inmates were coming in, and yeah. then uh, I started looking and I saw myself, and and I started saying, okay, um, if I'm going to coach you. And in sports, and I had to use that uh, vehicle to invite you up so that I can help you prioritize your time better, not take away the joy of you wanting to be an athlete, wanting to be young, because if you wasn't into sport, then you would have easily got into something else. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to start showing them how to balance uh, themselves out as older guys got with me. I just took that place and started getting with younger men and started having them to prioritize their time so that they would not have to uh, go the other route because it's a thin line between uh, doing uh, time and allowing time to do you, Maurice. It's a very thin line. Yeah. And it's a choice too, right? That Ooh. choice is so critical to make so that you d- – it really is. It's the difference between complete uh, desolation, I guess, is uh, there's a word I'll use, to continuing to grow and 
just hearing your story from from the mouth instead of just reading it from the words is a whole different feeling because there's i'm thinking about the people that you impacted on on the inside and it, it's it's a, a family if you will right and yeah. it, it just you built that those those bonds of uh of goodness is 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 what it, it really was a bonds of goodness um that i'm sure impacted other people uh there was a our, another piece of uh literature or, or article that i read that you started something called the young men's empowerment group and i think and this is probably what's what went on and you saw it it highlighted the fact that even after people left prison they would get back to you and say oh <laughs> i I don't, I don't know how to tell you, but you helped me in a way I can't even, I can't even tell you. It that had to make you feel pumped, right? Just what, what were some of those conversations like? What are some of those letters? I mean, seeing when they first got in there and just going, what the heck is going on? To the time that they were released, but knowing that you had an impact, man, tell it. Tell me what that was like. I, I need to feel that. <laughs> well, you know, you know, Maurice, that's a, that was one of the highlights, and it, it made me feel better because of my um my mishaps and my young ignorance of uh of selling drugs in the community and the impact that it had on uh on, on other people that I felt that I needed to give back once I lined myself up and really redirected myself and really saw my value mm -hmm. and how I could help people, I began, because my mother was a school teacher. Mm -hmm. And by her being a school teacher, the older I got, the more that I can see those qualities mm -hmm. uh, come out. So I fell in love with learning and I fell in love with teaching. Mm -hmm. And just to hear, and uh, because me, Maurice, I lost my mother, my father, and my brother and my grandmother while I was incarcerated within those 24 and a half years. Yeah. So to see that and to experience that and then to see the reality of how these things take place because life goes on. And when life goes on while we're in prison and I would see people lose people and, uh, and really be on the brink of falling apart yeah. and to come in from my own tragic situations, how I was able to recover from that by God's help, then I was able to help other people when they saw me strong and I would be strong with them and they would write me back when they get out. And even today, uh, Maurice, I have worked with so many people that they would see me in the streets of Washington, D.C. and be like, Hey, uh, hey, brother Norman, how you doing, man? And they could be with their wives or somebody or their girlfriends or significant other and be like, this is my man here. Man, I don't know what I would have done uh, if, if he wasn't in there, man. He kept me going. He kept me out of trouble. And I'd be like, wow, I didn't know that I had that kind of impact on people's lives. And, it, and it's really uh, spiritually food for me. And it's, and it's, it's awesome when I hear that. You know, I felt like that 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 goosebump effect when you tell that story, right? <laughs> Your energy just went over here. I can't I can't help but be happy for you, man. <laughs> right. Thank you. It, 
it's, it's amazing how I see it. And sometimes I'll get a letter or yeah. when I was still in, I would get letters, man, thank you. Man, do you need anything? Man, I miss you. And I'm like, when I would see guys and they would leave and they'd be like, Norman, man, you don't supposed to be in here. I say, well, I supposed to be wherever God has me at. And until I can get free, then let me live through you. Go do what we said you were going to do. And let me live through you until I catch my break. <laughs> and those are the things that inspired me and kept me going. Man, you know, it's, you said something right right before that electrical thing, <laughs> that goosebump effect, right? Uh, and that is, I found my own value. You, and when you saw the value in yourself and then the value that you could bring to the table, it, it's interesting that you said that because there's so many, there's so many people that'll start from the outside in instead of from the inside out. Does that, does that make sense at all? Yes. It, and yes. and it's it's like external it's externally. I want this. I want I want to be like them. I want to be and. It sounds like there was a point when you're finding your value that you you understood the value that you brought to the table. You understood that you were in it as an individual were valuable. And because of that, that recognition that you did something about that. Am I off on that? Or is no, it... you're, you're spot on, uh, Maurice. You're right on it. Because what happens is you can, in prison and in settings like that, yeah. If you try to work with everybody else right. rather than working with yourself, then you can lose yourself in there. Mm-hmm. That value comes from you learning and becoming better and becoming mental because prison is really about your mental stability and strength. Yeah. And if I realized, I said, ah, I have to be able to keep it together myself because if I can keep it together myself, my mom would see it, my daughter would see it, my father would see it, and then I can take the worry off of them by them knowing that when they come see me, I got it together and then after a while I just just fell in love with the new me and when I fell in love with the new me, it was all, that was all I needed. That that is some powerful stuff, man. I mean, it really is incredibly powerful. Just you, you just made me a better person, uh, and I need all the help I could get, man. Because <laughs> that that statement of finding my own value—it's so often people forget how valuable they truly are, and quite frankly. They don't think they deserve to be valued. That's what drives me crazy sometimes, right? And and when you see when you would see that, um, in 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 prison or even outside of prison, how do you help people to understand the value that they bring to the table? Well, Maurice, I think that uh, what's very important that I learned is that people don't understand that they have a very unique gift. All of us do. And when we begin to know that there's not one snowflake that's alike, there's not one fingerprint that is alike, and that means to tell each and every one of us that I have a fingerprint that don't nobody else in this world has. I have a gift 
that 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 God had gave me. Yeah. And you got a gift. We just have to find it. And once we find it and you locate it and you can nurture it yeah. and you can build it, then you will find a whole level of joy with yourself. And you got that. We yeah. just got to find out where it's at. Oh, my goodness. I want to jump out of this chair and freaking go and, and virtual high five, man. <laughs> it, it's so, you know, I, you never know what to expect in, in the course of the interview, but just the, the fact that my, my heart rate is going because I'm so amped right now is it's very telling of the kind of individual you are. Oh my goodness gracious. So, so we, we talked about, all these different things that he learned in, in prison about the development of the family. Now let's get to you, you, you study all this law and then you, you, you put in for, for clemency, right? What, what was that like? I mean, did you even know what you were getting yourself into? And then, so take us through what you're studying and then applying, but then Getting the call. <laughs> now we now we getting right to the to the to the nitty gritty, uh, Maurice. <laughs> hey man, listen, I was like uh, a drowning man, a drowning man reaching for a spider web. Mm. You know how frail that spider web is; it will yeah. break on you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm I have no more appeal. Um, I have the Supreme Court at. Had, uh, had had turned me down and I met a buddy of mine who had did who was maybe like on his 40th year and he was very sharp in law and he introduced me to the clemency and the pardon process. Uh, this was in 2020, 2002, 2002. So uh, he said, man, listen, it ain't over, man. Let's try this. This is what this process is for. And by that time, Mike, I mean, Maurice, I really was like, all right, well, you know, I don't have nothing to lose. Yeah. Uh, let's try it out. Right. So I filled out my first clemency, didn't have an idea or a clue of what I was doing, but he did. So he helped me with it. And uh, after we got that process in the mail and sent all out, it was like in 2000, uh, maybe 2005, I got a letter back in the mail denying my first clemency. I had yeah. really, Maurice said it took so long, I yeah. had forgot I had even applied for it. <laughs> I, was, I was in prison teaching classes, uh, 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 growing, learning, coaching, doing all the things that would keep my mind occupied and still trying to learn some law to see if I had any other ways. So I got a letter in the mail one day and it said, Mr. Brown, uh, your clemency was denied. I said, okay, okay, now what's my next step? So I ended up going to, I was at the same facility. Right. And uh, an article came out in the Washington Post about uh, racism and rubber stamping uh, black people and people of color in the clemency process. So somebody brought the mm. article to me. Said, wow. wow. Let me read this. So I read it, and it had a list of, of people 
that were in that were pointing out a lot of the denials that people of color were receiving from right. uh, from the clemency process. Got it. So what I did was, Maurice, I was uh, once again I'm a drowning man uh, reaching for a spider web. So I started writing some of the people that were in favor of changing the process up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I wrote maybe about ten or fifteen people and. Some of them responding back and was like, listen, we already did our pro bono. We don't have any room for any more cases. Right. Uh, some people were saying, we don't think that you have a good case because you were a high profile drug case. And some people right. were saying, uh, just didn't respond back. And I got one person, yeah. one uh, Wilma and Hire was a big firm here in D.C. on Pennsylvania Avenue. And they wrote back and said, you know what? We like your case. We think that you have a shot. I said, huh? <laughs> Me? So he said, so we started communicating. And at that time, President Obama in 2014 came out with a clemency process. Yeah. Uh, and I met all of the criteria for that process. So the lawyers accepted my case. They put it in. And maybe 2000 and when I first met the lawyers, it was 2012. By yeah. 2014, President Obama came out with a clemency process. Uh, and then I put it in. In 2015, yeah. I was called to the office one day. And uh, I was nervous. I was like, what's going on? Because remind Maurice, I had lost my mom. Yeah. I had lost my dad. And yeah. I was thinking, is this a call now for another death? Right. Only things left is my sister. And my daughter. Right. Ah, they called me to the office. So I went back there. My unit team uh, program, my unit manager said, uh, Mr. Brown, um, I need you to come back. This was 930 in the morning. Right. I said, she said, I need you to come back to my office at 11 o'clock. You have an important phone call. <laughs> I said, well, what is it about? And she said, well, I'll tell you when you come back. And she had such a serious look. I thought it was death. I yeah. was like, huh? Yeah. So I went in, I sat on the side of my bed and I and I made a prayer and I said, oh man, man what is this? Who could yeah. this be? Please let it not be my daughter. Yeah. Let it not be my sister. Yeah. So I said, okay. So I got dressed and I went back. It was like 1056. Yeah. So I go back in the office and I sit down. It's like 11 o'clock. Phone rang. <laughs> so she picked the phone up. She said, yes, he's right here. Uh, would you like me to put him on speaker? And they said, no, you can give him the phone. So I got the phone and it was my attorney. Right. Um, hello? And they said, hey, Mr. Brown. I said, uh, how you doing, Mr. Ogden? Mr. My, my attorney was David yeah. Ogden, yeah. my head attorney. So he said, um, how you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. And he said, well, I have some news from you on your clemency. So I thought it was a denial because I've been hit so many times. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. so I said, what's going on, um, Mr. Ogden? He said, call me Dave, no. And I said, okay, what's going on, Dave? <laughs> and he said, well, I'd just like to inform you that President Obama has accepted your clemency. <laughs> I said, uh, my unit manager is doing exactly what you're doing now, laughing. I said, what do you mean 
has accepted my clemency. Yeah. <laughs> he said he said that he has granted your clemency and that he has granted you to leave the Bureau of Prisons November the 10th, 2015. Oh, man. I said, I said, so I had to sit up in the chair, Maurice, and this was this was July right. the 15th when I got the information. Right. I said, uh, I said, wait a minute. I, I, I need you to explain what you're saying to me. Yeah. Because now, Maurice, I'm going for three life sentences, yeah. 24 and a half years right. to almost immediate release. Oh, man. <laughs> Do you hear me? <laughs> that. I said, what did, so what are you saying? I just keep needing clarity. I right. said, so are you telling me that I get out of prison in November? And they said, yes. And I had like four attorneys and all of them in there, congratulations. <laughs> and I was done. You know, <laughs> that, that your face when you, you when you were initially told that even even now, eight years later, I'm watching this on the screen. It's like you captured it perfectly, but I can't help but feel so almost crying happy for you because that level of emotion I can only imagine, right? I I can only imagine that uh not only the relief, but even after the shock, that's still hard to take in, man. Right? <laughs> Just, Wow. Oh, my goodness. I I I'm happy even though that was 8 years ago. <laughs> it's like what? wow. 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 Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know, you got you got to tell me what happened after you heard that news and went back uh to to the cell and and just what was the what was the chatter like, man? That had to be crazy. Had to be crazy. I went back, I went back to my room, Maurice. Yeah. And I put a little thing in my window because that signifies that you're either you need some privacy. Right. Or something. So I sat on the side of the bed and uh I didn't know if I was gonna cry. Yeah. Yell. Was it real? Was <laughs> I dreaming? I was pinching myself. Yeah. I was like, man, is this really, this really real? So yeah. I sat on the bed and I was doing things to make sure that I wasn't dreaming. Yeah, yeah. So I sat there for a minute and then nobody knows but me and my unit manager. So I come out, it's like 12 o'clock and CNN is on. So when <laughs> CNN is on and President Obama announces his clemency, it's at the bottom ticker on the screen. So I walk up and it says that President Obama has just announced his clemency for, uh, for, for this year. And I went and I looked at the bottom of the ticker and I saw my name. <laughs> I said, and nobody's really paying it no mind because everybody's at work or in school. Right. And it's only like a few people in the dormitory. And I saw it. But when that lunchtime came, it was other people that was looking at CNN too. They ran down to my unit 
Hey, Brother Norman, I saw your name. Did you see it on there? You get ready to get out. Brother Norman, President Obama granted your clemency. The whole afternoon, I suppose it went to referee games and yeah. basketball. I'm out there, and I mean, it was the whole compound was like, man, we so happy for you, man. We're going to miss you. We don't know if we're going to cry, if we're going to be joyful. Cause, yeah. And I was like, Maurice, this is, it's, it's, it's. And they got me out of there within, I learned of it on July the 15th. Right. Do you know that the warden had them to find me a space in DC, Washington, D.C. halfway house in 15 days? Wow. Oh, man. I got out July the 30th. Wow. In 15 days, my life had did a 360 degree turn. Wow. That's that's nuts. And it's nuts for a couple reasons, man. Just to know how happy all those individuals were for you getting out just goes to show the fact that you did them good. And that's a big daggum deal when it comes to a, a place where people are incarcerated for it, right? It's, it's, it gave them a big thing of joy, but understanding where that joy came from, it's because you gave yourself to them. And that's, to me, that is a testament of the kind of individual you are because they were so stoked for you, man. I mean, that's, you know, I look at that and that's your family for almost 24 years now, right? That's, wow. okay, well, that had to be tough too at the same time. I mean, you, heck yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to get out, but that had to be hard to leave that extended family behind too. I mean, am I off on that? I mean, heck yeah, I'm leaving prison, but what, what was it like leaving that, that, that population? Well, if we did the math, just imagine I came in at 22. Yeah. So I spent more than half of my life in prison. Yeah. So to go through all of the ups and downs and to have those uh, those brothers in there to yeah. be able to comfort you when you were at your lowest yeah. and to be able to celebrate you when you was at your uh, highest, you know, winning games and all of the things and having wonderful programs while you were in there, it's, mm -hmm. it becomes a family. Yeah. And and then to say that I will maybe never see a lot of them again was mm -hmm. like walking away from your family. And mm -hmm. it was, it had its bittersweet to it yeah. um, because I knew that um, people counted on me uh, a lot to help them through a lot of tough situations, right? And uh, and I and I and and I had to overcome the feeling of grief to say now now who's going to help you because you trust me, yeah. And I was like, ah, Norman, but that's really not you done your part. Evidently, mm -hmm. if you're leaving, you're done your part, and it's easier said than done because they were like family to me. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you you put a lot of a lot of perspective. Um, you given a lot of perspective to me of what that is because 
there is that that brotherhood. It's it's easy for the outside to make judgments and say, man, those everyone deserves to be there, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. What you've given me very clearly is the humanization of of that stuff. And just the the type of good impact that that happens still yet. You know, that just I thank I thank you for that for 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 one, but the the person that you are just again is speaking volumes to me. So that being said, you know I've got to ask, what was it like to be reunited after leaving that brotherhood into now your family? I'm assuming it was your family that picked you up and everything like yeah. that, right? Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> well, you know, to 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 walk out of uh, out of prison. And uh, just as well as the brotherhood of uh, of inmates, sure. then there was also a family with the correctional officers. Yeah. Uh, because at the last facility I was at, I was there for thirteen years. Wow! And just to just to just to see the correctional officers, you know, uh, taking me through uh, what they call R and D is the return and the interpart of processing. Right. And then to see them and, to, you know, to, to, to be able to hug them and and yeah. for them to be like, man, we're going to miss you, but we're glad you're leaving and then yeah. go through that part and to see my family in the parking lot. And Ugh. then to get in the car and be like, is this really real? Come on, y'all. Let's hurry up and go. Let's hurry up. Let's hurry up. Let's hurry up and get off this compound. And then to get off the compound. And the beauty of it, Maurice, and many people don't get this part of the clip, is right. that some correctional officers had set up at uh, at uh, at what they call it, the Golden Corral, mm -hmm. had rented a room for me there, and uh, and we had brunch. Uh, when mm -hmm. I got out, maybe about maybe about six of the correctional officers with my family, and uh, I went through the line of Golden Corral. And they were laughing at me. They was like, man, you can tell the people what you want. You want your eggs fried? You want them scrambled? You want them like this? Tell them. They was looking at me. I was so used to being in the prison line. I didn't even know. You don't get those options. <laughs> so, so I got in the line and we was in the OK Corral down in Richmond and we really enjoyed ourselves. And on the way home, I got car sick, uh, motion sickness. Because mm -hmm. you don't move when you're in prison for yes. all those years. And then when you get in the car, I was in there and I was about to throw up and everything, man, in the car. So, so I had a heck of an experience. A heck of an experience going home, Maurice. Oh, man. Again, it's stuff that we take for granted, right? And just re-experiencing that after 24 years Wow, 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 wow. Okay, so what was it like being reunited with your daughter? You, I mean, she was an infant, right? And now, yes. yeah. Well, um, it was, it was, it was me trying to process the fact that this is not a little girl anymore. Yeah, it was me trying to learn how to be a daddy, uh, from wherever we were currently at. Gotcha. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, and, and and for her to allow me to uh to be a daddy and what role 
uh, do I play? How do I play that role? Right. Uh, what would she allow me to do? Yeah. And um, and and that process has has gotten better and better and better over the years as I've learned how to live a new life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. our relationship now is uh is wonderful. Um, it's 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 wonderful because we communicate. It's wonderful because uh, I'm open. She's allowing me to be dad. I'm able to yeah. share things with her, hear her out, and respect the fact that she's in her 30s. Wow. And uh, and it's just it's just beautiful. Yeah, my oh my, Norman, this is this is nuts. It really is because just to hear that journey. And just the all the again the lives you touched is it, it, in in the inside just blows my mind. But that being said, on the inside, now I'm interested on the outside because you're still doing pretty good stuff, man. What what is it that you're doing now? Because again, I I just saw a little bit of it. If I wanted you to tell that story, because you continue to do good. Yes. Um... Maurice, I'm, I'm now uh, currently, when I came out, I was working for an organization called Project New Opportunity. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was an organization that was working with those that were coming from uh, prison, right. and we would contact them like six months before they get out, and we would right. try to connect them to resources to wherever they were going. Um, that lasted for about uh, maybe about two and a half years until we no longer had the funding. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, my second job was I was working, I was mentoring young people at the, de at the Department of Youth and Rehabilitative Services uh, down at both of their secure facilities. Mm -hmm. uh, I would go in as a mentor and we would have groups and we would work with, with, with young people that are at the far end of the juvenile justice system. Right. And I stayed in that role with Grow Up, Grow Out. A buddy had hired me to be a part-time mentor there. Right. And maybe a, like a year and a half afterwards, the director, uh, which name was Clinton Lacey at the time, right. uh, he had asked me, uh, Norman, I have something that I would like to offer you. And I said, well, what would that be, sir? And he said, I would like for you to be, uh, I would like to offer you the program manager's position over the entire Credible Messenger initiative yeah. here, in, here in D.C. And I said, uh, well, uh, Director Lacey, I, I don't want to hop in leadership right now. I, I don't want to have to deal with a whole lot of egos and a whole lot of this and a whole lot of that. Right. I would like to stay right here where I'm at mentoring young people because I've been dealing with adults for the longest and I don't really have the energy. <laughs> so I pondered over it for a while. I took it home and I asked my wife, and yeah. she said, Norman, I think you ought to take the challenge, man. And I was mm. like, Are you serious? And she said, Yes. So I accepted that role in 2019, and I'm currently in that role as the program manager for the Credible Messenger Initiative, which is a, a youth mentor initiative uh, here in the city of Washington, D.C. And it has grown really all over America. Uh, and this is the role that I'm in now. Uh, fantastic. 
I, I again see look at this man goosebump effect right there. <laughs> Norman, I, I I I can't help but not only be inspired but just pumped about the things that you continue to do and all those lessons are it's, it's interesting because you're eight years out now. And in those eight years, it's amazing to see the trajectory of the people that Norman has helped and continue to help. And it's, I mean, you you spoke a little bit about um, of, of making prayers and, and such, and and it's obvious that in a, in a a crazy way they've been answered because you get you continue to to influence lives in such a positive fashion. And, um, man, I can't, I can't even comprehend the things that you went through, but seeing what the, th the things that you're doing now, um, well done, man. <laughs> well done. That's, that's literally the, the only words that could come out of my mouth because it's, it's obvious that people continue to be influenced by you. And I, I can't, uh, thank you enough for teaching me so much about not only hope but about finding your own value and then showing others how valuable they are too uh, yeah it's i know that sounded kooky but it really is a it really is a fact man you you do that and so all i can say is keep being you man <laughs> thank you maurice this is uh this is awesome, man. Your energy was great. Your questions were awesome. Uh, man, this is, I couldn't have asked for a better platform. I enjoy what I do. Um, I have to just get now and get into my, uh, my, my own little thing because I love to motivate people. Yeah. Uh, I just have to start getting out there and, um, and, and, and try to let my light shine as much as I possibly can because we're living in some real tough times and we need some, we need it to inspire one another as much as we possibly can and to let people know their value and how important they are and how valuable they are to society. Yeah. And I enjoy doing that. And, and you, you with your wonderful platform and your energy, man, you, you are awesome. And I'm so glad that, uh, that Dr. Bernard connected us, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful. And I look forward to another interview with you at some time down in the future.